What's up, guys, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, here in the studio, live at Sensibly Loud Media HQ with Jason. JB, what's going on, man? J-Mac, we got Brooks Kepgun 18 closing it out here. That's what's going on. What a Sunday of sports we're having, and wire to wire. I, I couldn't be more excited to see him closing out. It was kind of a boring tournament. I haven't really watched much of it because it's just been kind of him above, way above everybody else. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way this one worked out, and I prefer definitely in these majors, too, to have, let's just say, a nobody yeah. after day one. You know, like mm-hmm. minus ten or just something absurd where they got a big lead, and then all these, you know, then you see all the guys come storming back, all the top guys, you know, like Brooks or Rory and Tiger. Yeah, I think that's I think that's most fun to me as a viewer is a nobody at the top after day one, and then just them crashing and burning. Oh yeah, it happens almost every major tournament. I, I it's always somebody out of nowhere, and and you don't yeah, know and- who they are. And whoever was in second, and I forget who it is, so I we need to get the intern on that real quick. But whoever was in second was sort of a nobody, and probably should have been in first, unless it, you know Brooks Kepko wasn't doing his thing. And then he crashed and burned the second day, shot like plus seven. I mean, I just right. love it. I mean, how do you how do you have such a big swing on a course? You know, fourteen to fifteen strokes swing from day to day is beyond me. It really is, and I mean. Nobody really got it going other than Kepka, it seems like. So, I mean, he took advantage of a big spot. You were 100% dead on on this one. The other thing that we talked about is Tiger missing the cut. Man, I just couldn't bet bring myself to bet against Tiger in any way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? I couldn't even pull yeah. for that to happen, but it did. Yeah, and I get that, and that's where everyone was at. They're like, hey, Tiger's back. He doesn't you know, need to play golf. He's back and locked in. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the deal with, uh, you know, it's someone – he won his Super Bowl, per se, and then he took a, a one-month vacation. Well-deserved, but mm-hmm. uh, you can't drink and you know go to Disneyland, eat cotton candy, and compete for a major golf tournament. I don't think it's as much that as it is just that, I mean, that's inevitable, man. Like, that kind of comeback for someone as big as he is, I mean, it was inevitable. So I, I wouldn't have even expected him to, I get why you would compete, but I didn't even expect him to really make a push. And we were right. I mean, it just makes sense. The math adds up. He's still older, you know, and that those things add up too. Yeah, I mean, probably younger Tiger could have done this, but yeah, a little bit older, uh, didn't recover. I mean, he was right there on the cut line. I think he was plus five, and the cut yeah. line was plus four. So, and, and I mean, I think he the back nine he had on that second day was horrendous. So it's not like he wasn't right there. And you know, Rory made the cut line. You know, I think he was at plus four, and then now with all these scores coming in, he's ending in the top ten. I yeah, mean, pretty crazy. And that's, what you, and that's what you see out of these pros. And so I think if Tiger would have made the weekend, we could have been maybe talking about a top 20 type finish, but, it, you know, just didn't pan out. Have you seen all these videos going around of John Daly riding around in his golf cart? Yeah. Greatest, greatest thing to happen at golf. And <laughs> people want to disrespect him and, you know, say, oh, this isn't golf. But earlier in the PGA Tour season, they were talking about allowing shorts, which I think they did for practice days. And if that's not the most ungolf code I've ever seen, it's then great. I don't know what is. It's great, though. I mean, I like to see – I don't know if there's a sport that's more – or at least pro- less progressive than baseball as far as, like, change and how they implement, you know, appealing to the younger crowd. But golf's doing a decent job at it. I don't – I think that the sport needs somebody like Tiger – and I think Jordan Spieth shaped up to be that, but didn't really hold on to that very well. 
Well, yeah, and I think to your point, Spieth really did connect, especially when he won that first Masters. But, you know, the past two years, including this year and last for Spieth, has been sort of, you know, just uncharacteristic of what we're used to from him, obviously, at a young age. And he, you know, has lost his putter. And when you're not winning, it's hard to be the face of the sport. Well, yeah. And so, <laughs> and, expect, and, you know, with the run that Brooks – Brooks has had here and he doesn't care about the media at all I mean you talk about a guy who avoids it like the plague so the hottest golfer in the last two seasons Brooks Kepka, and he wants nothing to do with media attention so I think that's hurt you know maybe connecting with the younger fans a little bit yeah I mean I'd be willing to wager a lot of money that that absolutely hurts him I mean people know who Jordan Spieth is because he let the wave rush over him I mean that's just what it is like you do what he did accomplish what he did at a young age and that quickly I mean, obviously, you're going to have a, a ton of expectation put on you, and then it is hard to keep that up, though. And I think that's what people forget about in golf because it's such a large field every time. And it's almost – I just equated it to baseball a little bit, and I'm going to do that again here. It's almost just like there are just so many random one-off days or rounds or tournaments where you just don't have it. And baseball teams are right. the same way where you just show up and somehow you – you're the best team to get swept by the worst team, you know, and all of a sudden you're Tiger Woods winning the Masters and the next major you don't make the cut. Those are things that the ebbs and flows of golf are so organic that way, but they're tough for golfers to deal with. It's a really tough mental game. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, you go from four days straight of competing, you know, Thursday through Sunday, and if you have a terrible tournament, the next week you're there Monday or Tuesday, you know, practice rounding, and there's – to your point, a lot like baseball where there's not that time to make the adjustments. And that's why you see some younger baseball players get sent down to the minors. Hey, clear your head. Take take a moment. Let's make the adjustments down there, not on the major league team. It, that's kind of probably what the same thing when you see golfers maybe withdraw from a tournament or skip one, you know, going from the east to west coast. They're like, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I need to get with my coach, work on this. So, uh, yeah, it's a very difficult sport when you're in a slump to probably get out of it more than probably a lot of us can relate to on that level. No doubt. Another big topic I've seen of conversation throughout the uh, the tournament throughout the week. What do you think of the new Nike hats? That's horrendous. I mean, really? It's, I think it's part of the reason I didn't watch. I don't want to. Oh, I okay. mean, right now Brooks Kepka, you know, is on 18. He's got a par putt here to win. He's, he has two putts to win and three to go to a playoff. Uh, it's about probably seven, eight feet out. I'm certainly not an expert, but that would be my guess. Um, it's horrendous. I mean, these outfits that they've chosen for these guys, I mean, I feel bad. If I'm them, I'm calling my agent right after this. You need to get me more money if I'm going to wear this abomination of a hat. I mean, Holy what God, what a hot take, though. Is it? I don't know what, what a hot take is on this opinion because I actually feel the exact opposite. I think they're pretty slick. And I well, think it's... And I also like the polo he's been wearing all week that actually has a collar. I do not like those Tiger ones that don't have a collar. I, I, I'll agree with you. I do, like, I do like the polo. It's tough to go three colors on a polo for sports, and he's rocking it. But did you see Brooks Kepka walking in this morning? You know, first of all, he's got a huge lead. He's walking in with his wife. His wife goes in for two kisses, and he pushes her away twice. Both times. Both times. What is your – I mean – does this equate to the hat? Is that what you're saying? Is that what we got going on? I, I don't know. I don't know how they all correlate, but I would have to think <laughs> that this somehow does a terrible hat and, you know, dismissing your wife. But they just showed a shot. It's Brooks Kepka's father, and behind him 
is Brooks's wife. I mean, is Brooks Kepka going to be more in the doghouse from not being the first person that greets him after he wins or him denying her twice on the kisses? Which one's going to put him in the worst doghouse? Well, the kisses are definitely going to put him in the worst doghouse, I think. I think that's a tough look. But I think he's kind of a prick overall, to be honest with you. I don't think he's a great dude. From what I've heard, I know some people that have hung out with him before, and they haven't said great things about him. Well, I guess we'll have to find out for ourselves. We'll have to put in a request for him to come on the show. I mean, we're kind of seeing it. So, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. He blew off two kisses. I don't. I know my wife wouldn't be happy if that happened. That That's very true. That is very true. Well, Once, I, once you can make an argument for, oh, maybe I, you know, turn the head of the, you know, at a weird time and just missed it or, you know, whatever. It happens. But twice is rough. That's a tough look. Perfect. Well, Brooks just sunk it. He won. We're about five minutes over on our allotted time for golf is the interns whispering into my ear here. So No, um, I've got one more question for you. Oh, right, one God. more thing to bring up about the hats, and then we're going to let it go. One of my okay. Someone told me that they should just switch it around to where the Nike is on the back and then just the swoosh. And I was like, well, they've had those hats for years. That's the yeah, same I, thing they've always had. I like those. Yeah, that that's classic Nike, and I don't know why. They, I mean, they literally imagine that board meeting, the marketing or whatever team, design team, like, hey, let's completely switch around a hat that we've made. Oh, brilliant. Okay, but, we don't have to do any more work. Just have the design guy flip it around. Oh, okay, great. I don't view it that way, though. I actually like this hat, and I think it's one of those things where I trust Phil Knight and Nike. I'll tell you that. Like, they always get it right, and for the most part, I would say. We talked about the polos that we don't like already, or quote-unquote polos. I don't think they're polos. I think those are shirts. But I think that there's they always lead the way in that change and everything, and that's a stylistic thing. And I, I think it just it's jarring to everybody for some reason. Well, okay, and last thing on golf, Brooks goes in for a hug to the dad, the trainer, and then his wife, who grabs him by the face, J-Mac, and pulls him in. She's like, I have dealt with this this backlash for eight to nine hours on social media. You are giving me a damn kiss. That is what her first thought was. She was done with it. Good on her. Good on her. All right, let's move on to the NBA playoffs. Where do you want to start, in the east or the west? Uh, let's go. Let's go west since we're a little deeper there. Okay. Would have been your. Would have. So last we talked, where were we last we talked? Do you remember? Yeah. So we had a. You had a strong. Or we both agreed the Warriors were advancing. Yep. Um. And obviously the first three games they've completely dominated. I mean we had game one wire to wire. It was all Warriors. Game two and three they were down. You know at halftime and came back. I believe they were good down at halftime in game two. Yep. Um came back, and just dominating performances. And I've had more joy watching this series than I think I have in the NBA playoffs probably since Kevin Durant did come to Golden State. And because we get to appreciate Steph again, I have missed watching Steph get double teamed, him dribbling around everyone, dishing a pass out to a wide-open guy for a three or a dunk. And this is the basketball I love watching. And it gets to, we get to see what a great player Steph Curry is again. Um, and so I've enjoyed this series more than I think I expected to. So I agree. I didn't. I thought this is this has been everything I thought it was going to be, especially with Kevin Durant being out. And in, I mean they've got a three zero nothing or a three nothing lead right now. They they're going to take all the time in the world to rest him and get him better. And I mean you may end up having Boogie back as well. But I've also heard things around the league saying they're not even close yet, which is fine because they're handling it just fine. This looks like the 2013-14 Warriors. 
And that's the best part about it. It's fun basketball. They're moving the ball. It's not selfish ball. Draymond Green, dude, that guy is so underrated. People talk about him like he's garbage. I think he's fucking great. I couldn't disagree with you more. Um, Draymond Green cannot be... He wouldn't... If he was the third best player, which he is right now, could we agree with that? Could we agree that Draymond, with the injuries that are at hand, with Cousins out and Katie out, that that that's your third option? Or would you put Iguodala ahead of him? So you you have Steph, you have Clay, and, Clay. and then you've and, got Dre. I, I, I see the vision. Okay. Because that's 60 so points if, of your backcourt, so I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's not one other team on this planet that Draymond Green could be your third best player and you're making even the conference finals. And your life is so much easier when you do have Steph and Clay. I, I respect Draymond Green's game. He's a great rebounder, good assist, high-energy guy. You, you'll know when he scores because he does a whole celebration that he should get technical fouls for at this point. But, I, and sure, he's had a good series. But, again, what did we talk about going into the series? That he would be a guy that could exploit them down low. I mean, you Portland has no down low presence. And if you're saying Zach Collins, the kid out of Gonzaga, who weighs like 180 pounds dripping wet, he can't do a thing down there. So it's a matchup that they know they can exploit, and they've allowed Draymond to do it. But in any other world, Draymond Green is not the third best player on any championship team. That's statistically incorrect because he lead in this series alone he leads in rebounds assist Bo Harkless leads in blocks that's unbelievable uh and steals just right there like you're I think you just proved my point I, I feel like you agree with me here okay so would you let's say Draymond Green would you agree that maybe he's very plays a similar role as let's say Chris Middleton on the Bucks PJ Tucker on the the Rockets, would you say that's a very similar role that they play? Kind of. You know, like, it just you know, depends on the lineup. Right, but I'm saying you're looking at that guy, you know, hey, he's going to help lock down uh, on it. He's a lockdown defender, gets the rebounds, good assist guy, not going to be your leading scorer, but I mean, I would I would take Chris Middleton far over Draymond Green any day of the week. No way. No way, because you don't even have you don't have the the mop up duty that he gets down low. He knows how to facilitate, even if he's in a pinch. He knows when to kick out and when not to, and he knows exactly when to, you know, to basically set the screen. And he he knows how to run that high pick and roll offense that works so well for Steph and Clay. I think you pick up Chris. I think if you swap them, I think Milwaukee gets even better. To be honest with you. Uh, you know, my issue is I just can't see his game translating to a team that's not Golden State at a high level. Sure, he has a good game, but his life is made so easy being able to dish out to Steph and Clay to bail him out and KD when he's healthy. I just I'm not a Draymond guy. He's a fine NBA player, but he he is certainly his game is elevated based on the team that he's on. His stats are held based on the team that he's on. Sure, but he has times where he takes over and makes is the a major contributor as well. That's the go- the beauty of Golden State this whole time over this whole what five year run they've had now is the fact that they have so many options who just have to get hot at the right time. And people yeah. want to, I mean, people want to discount what he does. Fine, I mean, he's a hell of a locker room guy. I was actually listening to Matt Barnes on a podcast this week talking about how much of a locker room guy he actually is and how much you know people see him getting fired up and they get they they understand why he gets so fired up and why he gets 
you know, pissy and all that stuff. He's going to bat for his teammates. You don't see that a lot anymore. Yeah, again, I think he's perfect for this team. They're gelled. He, he's obviously this team's been together that core for so long now that they're able to feed off each other. I just don't think he would have that same amount of value on another team. Hmm. Yeah, well, strong disagree. But uh, sure. what else have you seen in this series? Anything else uh, out of? I mean, Portland. I saw last night that Dave has been playing with separated ribs. I believe he's playing through it. That sounds fucking terrible. Yeah, and it's been very clear. I mean, his injury, you can just see it when he's shooting. I don't know how you can play through that in basketball. I mean, that's tough. I mean, it's kind of similar to Paul George with that shoulder. I mean, there's just no way you can be consistent night in and night out. And I mean, to beat a team like Golden State, you have to be you have to play a perfect game almost every single time. So, and that's what we've seen. We've seen great stretches out of Portland, but when it boils down, it's just tough for them to play a full 48 minutes. Um, you know, it's great experience for this Portland team. I love Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Hopefully that, you know, they'll get everyone back healthy next year and uh, maybe be able to attract, you know, another free agent there. But it's just tough for seeing anyone, you know, breaking down the Warriors while they have the superstars that they do. So I can't imagine. Hopefully they'll get game four. It'd be nice for that city. It'd be nice for that team. And then Golden State can close it out at home. But, Man, it's just tough watching this series right now. It's it's like varsity versus JV almost. It really is. Do you think that this changes anything about the Kevin Durant situation as far as staying slash going? Yeah, we've talked a little bit about this, and I would have. I mean, I'm just trying to think through it. If I was Kevin Durant, and you know, we both talked about it nauseum that he does want his own legacy, wants to prove he can do it all on his own. You know, he's got the rings now. Uh, and looking at this, if they go on to win it without him, and to your point, as you mentioned earlier, we don't know if he's coming back even this postseason. And I don't know why they'd release that information. I mean, it gives them no advantage as Golden State to say, hey, he's out, you know, this amount of games. Just say he's day-to-day. I mean, why give any team an advantage? Make them prepare as much as possible. Yeah. It's just one of those things they want to – I think they just kind of slow feed and see how it goes. And, I mean – they're going day to day anyway, so what is the difference? I agree with you there. I just so, think- and you're probably more well in tune with this with the current contracts mm-hmm. with Steph, obviously being maxed out. I believe Clay is this summer, or is he next summer? He is. Uh, res- uh, yeah, he is this summer. Is he restricted though? I forget. Um, I guess my overall question is: when you're looking at the contract situation of these teams, obviously Steph's maxed out. He's staying. I can't imagine Steph isn't a Golden State Warrior for his career, but looking at how much money you'd have to play, pay Clay and KD, and if you're looking to bring back Boogie, who I think Boogie is definitely interested in coming back to this team on a one-year deal. Uh, as we mentioned, I don't think he's going to have the market that he thinks he'll have, just like he didn't last offseason. What will it look like? You know, it's kind of a situation where I think Clay may take less money if it means keeping Kevin Durant. Because I think, I mean, Clay has said he wants to stay there. I think, yeah, so he comes off the books this summer. Kevin Durant has a player option. Oh, my God. Steph makes $37 this year, $40 next year, $43.45. That's wild. That's a hell of an escalation table. But I guess they're anticipating the cap going up. It's kind of what always the excuse is there, it seems like. Yeah. Um, You've got Dre coming off next year. You've got Iguodala coming off next year. So this is after the 2019-2020 season. Um, you got Boogie coming off this year. So, I mean, they've got a lot of things that they're going to have to 
addressed, but I think the main thing is how do you keep Clay and Kevin Durant happy? And I I think Clay wants to stay there too. I think that he realizes that that's the most advantageous situation for him. And I it seems like that translates best to his game is something yeah, like I, that. Where and I also think what would translate best to his game is, you know, coming to a state with no state tax, you know, that maybe is taxes and could play with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, holy what? Holy. tell me that wouldn't be a nice fit as those three guys all playing together. That'd be a great fit, but I don't think that the Mavericks are there yet. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely agree with you. But um, it'll be it'll be extremely entertaining to see how it plays out. And obviously, you're a huge Draymond guy. So his contract, I believe, is coming up as well. So um, how will that play out is another question to kind of look at is those are three guys who probably, you know, Katie's obviously going to demand the max. He's made that clear. He's not taking anything less than the max. So looking uh, there, you're – you're going to have to have someone at some point give you a price break. And I just don't know which one of those four would. And my guess would be clay. Has he made it clear that he wants a max deal? He already, he already can't make, get a super max. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. So I think he's wants the max amount that he can get though. But which, why wouldn't you go higher and just be, do what LeBron's been doing or what KD did when he signed there? $30 million and 31 with a player option the next year. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't rule out him signing another one-year deal like that. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't either, and I think it'd be smart. And, you know, KD may just say, hey, I'm going to keep playing here until we can't win anymore. And then it's going to be an interesting summer, obviously, with Kawhi coming to light. Um, you know, there's a lot of talent, Kyrie hitting the market. So there's going to have to be a domino that falls somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, it's just tough for to predict but i don't think anyone in golden state wants to break it up every all the media wants to break it up every the media wants to talk about other places everyone can go but those guys internally there's no way that they're saying hey we can win another four or five straight championships let's just keep this thing going just keep running it back i don't see why you wouldn't yeah i agree um okay so what do you think about how, how have you felt like the toronto milwaukee series has gone so far i mean it's three nothing milwaukee so yeah. Yeah, and, and I did like Toronto to start, you know, when the playoffs started. I thought, you know, Kawhi's experience obviously played paid dividends last round versus the Sixers. But, man, th this Milwaukee team is something else. And, and Giannis just – and I think I texted you, this just feels like that Dallas Mavericks run almost when Dirk just would take over games. You know, in the fourth quarter, you just play iso ball, just Dirk down in the post, whether he wanted to shoot it, drive it, whatever it was, and – Giannis is one heck of a player, and I hope he finds a way to get a championship, obviously for him and himself and his legacy, but for Milwaukee, that city, that'd be great. Um, it's a pretty darn complete team. I mean, is where are the holes? You know, you're obviously far more in tune with them. Where's the holes in Milwaukee that I'm not seeing? There's not much of, of them, I'd say that. I think that they have a good chance to give Golden State a run for their money. I don't think it works, but I think they have a good chance to go take that six or seven games. I really do. I think they match up. I think Golden State matches up pretty well against this team, and I think that's going to make for a competitive series in the finals. But I think what it comes down to is that Toronto is kind of a one-trick pony in a lot of ways. They've got Kawhi, which is great and obviously wildly efficient, but they're just nights where they're not firing on all cylinders, and they just don't have a defensive answer, which is crazy to me. But they don't have a defensive answer for Giannis. That's just they don't, and and Kawhi even can't can't even really mask that. 
Yeah, and, and again, I think it's just that situation where you got a player so locked in at what he's doing uh, that just no one can really stop him at this point. And that's what we've seen with players sometimes where they just are in a, a certain zone. Um, what was the who's the point guard that they signed long term? I'm going to kill myself once you say it. Uh, for Milwaukee, they signed to it a contract extension um, during oh, the year. Are you talking about Eric Bledsoe? Yeah, Eric Bledsoe. Um, at the time, people kind of questioned that extension, but man, looking at how well he plays off Giannis, I mean, it looks like it's been a great fit, and I think that's what they saw. Yeah, him demanding a trade out of Phoenix really worked out well, I think. Yeah, oh, Phoenix, man. Uh, and, and so I think, obviously, this series, Toronto will probably steal one, uh, but as we mentioned on the last episode, Milwaukee's only lost back-to-back games one time this year. It's just not a team that loses twice. So if you're looking at that, even if, you know, best case that this series goes six games if Toronto wins tonight at home. Uh, but I, I don't see it. I think they'll probably split in Toronto and we'll see probably a five-game series between these two teams. But it's certainly not as entertaining as we'd like. So looking like that Milwaukee-Golden State finals matchup, which they released the odds for that. It was Golden State favored, but not by much for the whole series. So, you know, odds makers are looking a little bit uh, like this could be more competitive than folks may think. Well, ultimately, you have two different teams that could show up for Golden State. I mean, you could have one that involves Boogie Cousins and Kevin Durant, or you may not. And so I could definitely see the the weariness there. So what what's Boogie's status? Because I thought originally with that injury that they were more looking at, he was going to be out most likely the rest of the year. So has that changed? He's been at practice. He's been working out but it seems like it's been a little bit slow coming, which makes sense given his age and size and injury and all that. So I think he's been cleared for on-court work, but I still think they're a little bit far away and they're going to slow play it. I mean, why not? They're ahead 3-0 in the series. Even if they lose 2-3, or I would still take my chances with them, and I'd rather have both those guys as healthy as possible. Yeah, there's zero chance unless this goes to game seven or maybe even six that we see Kevin Durant, let alone Boogie. And, you know, obviously if Boogie comes back, being that he's out, been out for so long, I can't imagine that we're seeing more than, you know, 12 to 18 minutes a night on the court. So it'd be pretty minimal impact even if he does come back. Well, and on top of that, Kevon Looney has been fine. I always mix him James Looney up. Uh, Kevon Looney has been just fine uh, in the post. I mean, you can tell every time he touches the ball, he wants to get it out of his hands as quickly as possible. But I'm fine with that. Just get it into Steph's hands, get it into Clay's hands, and be done with it. Yeah, and, and the thing that people really didn't talk about is we obviously saw Steph, that finger, uh, you know, last series when I'm not sure they never really released much, but it was crooked based on the pictures we saw. Clearly, that hasn't been an issue. I know it's his non-shooting hand, but clearly yeah. that hasn't rendered him, you know, worthless by any stretch. Not any stretch whatsoever. So last we talked, we had the lottery picks had just come in. Yep. We're about a week out of it now. How are you feeling about the fallout of it all? Wow. First of all, wow. New Orleans Pelicans getting one. What a turn of events for that city and franchise. Uh, You know, the Lakers sneaking up there into the top four, I think exactly number four. You know, that's a huge get for them being that they're obviously going to trade it and try to bring in, you know, a current, you know, NBA player. I think it certainly – uh, re-energizes the talks between the Pelicans um, and and Lakers based on Anthony Davis. And 
Anthony Davis has made it clear he still wants out of New Orleans, which I understand. You, you've already made that bet. You can't come back just because a 19-year-old kid's suddenly coming there. And if I'm the Pelicans, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trading Anthony Davis to the Lakers or someone, or whoever, you know, Memphis, if they want to give up the second pick and have other options or a third pick. I'm going to try to accumulate as many picks this year and next in the future than I can with everyone on this roster. And I'm selling it to Zion. Hey, let's say we got three or four, four first-round picks. I'm going to try to bring in as much talent as I can and let Zion kind of shape it. Hey, who do you want to play with? Because your only chance as a fr- franchise right now is to bring in Zion, bring in talent around him that he wants to be around for the foreseeable future. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but if I in the Pelicans, that's what I'm doing. Hey, we're going to just go total youth movement. We'll probably be one of the worst teams again next year and get a top five pick. But let's bring in as much as we can and just let Zion lead the way. I think that that is probably putting the cart before the horse in a lot of ways. And I think you're turning, you're talking about turning your keys over to a 19 year old kid and to your franchise. That is a really, really risky thing to do. And yep. I, I understand the comparisons to LeBron as far as generational talent and everything. But even LeBron didn't have that kind of power coming in. And I think that is really, really dangerous. So ultimately, I still do not get the feeling, based on what I hear just from things I've heard around the league, I still do not get the feeling that Los Angeles will be able to get a deal done with New Orleans. I realize that like there's a lot that has changed since then. Magic's gone. Dave Griffin is their new GM in, uh, in New Orleans. There's a lot going on there. I get that. But ultimately, that didn't happen for a reason. And, and I just don't think that... I don't know how basketball could let that happen at this point, to be real honest with you. It would be really bad for the league. You can't have players that just demand to go wherever the hell they want to go. That's not how this works. So here's what I suggest. If I'm David Griffin, I'm going to say, you know what? We don't have to trade you till February. So let's try to see if we can get this to work. And starts looking at it that way because they have a lot of pieces. They have Drew, Drew Holiday. They've got Julius Randle who they could bring back. They could throw a little bit of a bag at him, I guess. He's probably going to command more than they're going to want or than they're going to want to pay. But you're going to have Zion. You're going to have AD. I mean, I don't see how that's – and then you could probably fill in some some pieces around them. I mean, that's just right out of the gate. I just feel like – I just feel like that's a lot to give up. And and I, I don't think that any team is really going to let themselves be fleeced that way for one-year rental player. I just don't see that happening. So I certainly see where you're coming from and, hey, they can't just come in and demand trade and how LeBron James came in didn't have that power. But think of the different NBA environment that we're now in compared to when LeBron did come to the league. When LeBron came in, players really didn't change teams that they were on. You know, they're players of his magnitude. You no, know, you came to the league, you took that team, and you stayed there. You know, that's what we saw in San Antonio, the Mavericks, you know, the, these teams that were consistently there, you know, the Sixers at that point with AI. I mean, the list goes on and on of players staying there. What my worry, my worry for New Orleans is this. It's two worries. First, you, you draft Zion, and he pulls an Eli Manning on you. He says, I'm not playing for you. you. You can draft me. You can let me stay here. Do whatever you want. But I'm never playing a game. I'm never putting on your uniforms. The same thing Eli Manning did to the to the Chargers, and it, it worked for them. They said, great, hey, we'll trade you. we got Philip Rivers. Worked out for both sides, I think, you know, in the long run. Or the worst-case scenario is you bring in Zion, 
you know what? You try to make it work. He plays. You trade AD, and you never build around him enough. Just the same way they didn't do with Anthony Davis. So I'm not. It, I'm not saying exactly turn over the whole the whole thing to him, but if that's going to be your franchise player, if if he is what everyone says he is and thinks he's going to be, you kind of do want to work with him a little bit and go, hey, who do you want to play with? I mean, he's got Zion's got two other teammates that are supposed to go in the top five here in this draft. I'd go and ask him, hey, which one do you want to play with more? Let's but, bring him in. But Zion hasn't been evaluating talent in the NBA and college levels for years like teams have. You can't just have players making calls like that. I'm telling you, like that doesn't, that will not work. That just will not work. And I it, just, at the end of the day, I get what you're saying and I get the logic behind that. And in a perfect world, that would work great. But you can't let players evaluate talent and do basically what LeBron does. That's not, that doesn't work out because look what just happened to the Lakers if you try to do that. The same exact thing happened. Well, I, I'm not sure LeBron's been able to bring in all the guys he's wanted to, but... <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well, what it's what do you think a, happened in Cleveland the entire time he was there? It's going to be interesting to see how it all works out with New Orleans. To your point, whether they do decide to keep Anthony Davis there or not, to trade him what they bring in in return with Anthony Davis. So it's going to be an extremely interesting NBA offseason. I'm just not sure the best move is to hold on to Anthony Davis. Are we even sure that they keep the pick? That's, I mean, you have to, right? Yeah, I would, I, I would think so. I mean, you, that's a generational player right there. I, we think anyway, I mean, should be, I mean, I don't know how you get rid of them necessarily. I mean, it, you would have to get a heck of a haul back to get rid of Anthony Davis or get rid of Zion Williams and Anthony Davis and be starting completely over without either one of those two. I can't imagine. I just don't see that. I know. Well, I don't either. I'm just, I'm spitballing because I've heard a lot of different things. And I I think that the front office for the Pelicans has been a disarray for the past some odd years now. I mean, they basically had the same GM running the Saints as they did the Pelicans. So I think now that they have, the the ownership now that what's his name had died I always forget that guy's name um, in New Orleans who just passed away left it to his wife. Okay, sure. I I don't know. If you know what I'm talking here. about though, right? Right, right. Um, I think that they have a better understanding of what's going on as far as needing to have separation and all that, and needing to have an actual GM for a basketball team that knows what they're doing. I think David Griffin was a great hire, and I think that they're going to have to. They're, they're kind of letting him control that situation and say what you want about David Griffin, but, I mean, he's assembled a championship team in Cleveland before. So I think that's yeah. a good hire. He has. I think it's a good hire for them. I just don't know what direction they want to go. There's pretty much three directions. Either keep AD and try to move forward, you know, with him and Zion, or you trade AD, or you tr- scrap it all and just try to restart. I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough move, and that's why they get paid a lot of money to figure that out. Well, and you can't really handcuff yourself to a player that's probably going to leave or be traded. So that's the hard part about it, too. Yeah. And that's it's a very good point. It, and that's why it's going to be so interesting. And you just don't know who's interested in playing, you know, coming in with Zion either. So it, it could be a situation where there's maybe players that we're not aware of who, you know, are interested in coming in and, and trying to start to rebuild with New Orleans. I was thinking about something the other day. Imagine if Zion would have come along like whenever call it Andrew Wiggins, got drafted to Cleveland. How would yeah. LeBron would have handled that even though he hates playing with young players? Yeah, that would, that's a good point. That would have been very interesting to see, you know, like a 
you know, Kyrie, LeBron, Zion. You know, obviously the Kevin Love marriage didn't work out however and wanted it to, but, you know, they, they won their championship too, so it's hard to disagree. But that's a that would have been an interesting storyline. For sure. It really – I don't really know what that would look like at that point in time. And, I mean, Kevin Love was durable for what he was. I mean, he was the perfect type veteran to be around LeBron, I think. Oh, absolutely. And they needed to bring in someone to stretch the floor, which LeBron always needs is those guys on the outside. And, you know, Kevin Love really did provide that for him. No doubt about it. When do we have? When is the draft? It's coming up here in uh, June twentieth. June, yeah, right. Yep, June twentieth. June twentieth. Wow, that 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 is a quick turnaround for some of these teams after the finals. Wow, sure is. Well, most of these bad teams have been have been you know squatting around since for last a while. year. Right, exactly. <laughs> we'll have to. I've been thinking about something. I'll, I'm going to debut this in the next couple of shows, but I've been tinkering with a way to get rid of the NBA draft entirely. Interesting. Yeah, I'll lay out a whole plan for you. I I did this last year on the outfielder whenever I realigned baseball, and it all came out pretty well. And I think I've got every, most of this stuff pounded out. I've been playing around with it though, so we'll we'll debut it here in a couple of weeks. Love it. No, that's awesome. That'd yeah. be great. Well, let's move on to NHL playoffs. Pretty exciting, non-exciting series for the Bruins, right? Well, wow. I mean, clear sweep. Uh, I mean, never was much of a contention. Um, I don't even know what to say. That's you know we came on here uh, and said you know Boston's going to win it. They're going to advance to the finals, but you didn't see it in that fashion. I guess you know Carolina had played you know two great series, beat the defending champs. Uh, you thought they would have put up more of a fight, but I mean Tuukka Rask is obviously locked in as a goaltender, um, and I just you know Boston was just so much more physical than Carolina and. Uh, sometimes that's what it takes in the NHL. You know, you hit these guys around a little much and get them off their game, and that's just what we saw. It's just pure dominance. It was an embarrassing series for Carolina. It really oh. was. I mean, it, the, they never had any business being on the same ice as the Bruins. I mean, they smoked them. Like, home away, it didn't matter. And I honestly wasn't worried at this about this series at all. I think I said I called for the sweep is pretty much what I said. I said yeah, I wouldn't you- be surprised if it went five games, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and I think it was just a young team that ran out of their luck or talent. You know, maybe they shocked a few teams, and um, it's just unfortunate. They just ran into a buzzsaw with the Boston Bruins, and now they just get all that rest, too, which I think I'm not sure if it's good or bad at this point because you kind of get out of your rhythm. But, you know, these guys have played probably over 100 games now at this point with Boston. <laughs> Man, it can't hurt for guys like Chara and um, – you know, just some of these guys to get that extra rest and downtime. Oh, strong agree. Strong agree. Where are we at on the Sharks series right now? So, uh, well, Sharks are up 2-1 to one after a very controversial game three where they scored that goal on the hand pass. And yep. N- now the Blues have dominated the past two games. I think they're outscoring, you know, the Sharks about 9-1 to one or even greater at this point. They just won 5 nothing today. And so we're looking like, uh, you know, as long as St. Louis can close it out at home in game six, you're looking at St. Louis – versus Boston and you know the Blues were the worst team at Christmas they were the worst team in the NHL yeah and I mean you could have uh, certainly taken them at a large large price there to win the cup and I mean what a turnaround that they've had and their goalie's a career minor legal leaguer journeyman and he's been locked in and sometimes that's what it takes in the NHL to get your goalie just locked in and let everything else happen so uh, it looks as though the Blues will advance and 
Uh, we're going to have Boston, St. Louis, two historic, you know, cities and teams that you know, are used to being in these situations. And I will certainly give the edge to, to Boston if that happens. But, you know, San Jose has been a team of destiny almost with their comeback versus the Vegas Knights in that third period. So can they get a little luck? We don't know. It's going to be an exciting, uh, you know, game six and hopefully seven for the NHL. And then we'll be able to preview kind of that next step. Yeah, because the other side was incredibly lopsided. I mean, no doubt about it. Are we going to do a live watch party for Bruins Cup here? At the, I think uh, we HQ? have to, right? I mean, yeah. we did that for the Super Bowl. It was extremely fun. I think it'd be a lot of, it'd be great to get everyone together. You know, Duster Dan, right? That's our NHL expert. Oh, yeah. He's around. So, get, yeah, get him on here, talk a little bit about it, get him on the live. It'd be fun to hear someone kind of break down, you know, how these two teams match up against each other and where the advantages lie. My sister's actually a really big hockey person as well, so we may try to get her in here as well. Oh, wow. Okay, there we go. So we're just diving deep into the SLM chest of talent. I'm telling you, man. We had uh, Mountain Carl on the other day on radio. It was great. So, you know, be listening for that. Um, yeah, I think this series, I think it the Shark series deserves to go longer just because the Bruins series was so short. And, the you know, the people deserve the great game of hockey. And uh, I'm not worried about the Bruins' chances. I think they lose one game at the very maximum, but I could even see a, a, a cup sweep. So we'll see. We'll, we'll certainly see. And, yeah, to your point, that kind of goes on the, the NBA front. I mean, we're looking at two potential sweeps. I mean, that'd be wouldn't that just be awful for the NBA? Isn't that kind of their <laughs> – they don't want that. I mean, obviously more games, more money. But, geez, yep. man, if you get two sweeps or even two four ones, that's uh, that's a real downside there. It's definitely a loss. Definitely a loss for sure. All right, man, time to talk some baseball. So I actually didn't even tell you. I went to the Rangers-Cardinals game on Friday night in Tex- in uh, at uh, Globe Life Park. Wow. How was that? Was that, what, was that the weather delay game, or was that Saturday? That, I think that might have been Saturday. Yeah, that was Saturday, actually. Yes. Yeah, Saturday we had lovely tornadoes and uh, going, going on right here in Dallas, so that was fun. It was wild. It really was. We were worried about the HQ, but we were okay. We made it through just fine. Yeah, well, we put the interns just into the box and said, you know, let us know if it blows over. Actually, Ben, did you see Ben's Facebook Live video real quick, speaking of the weather and everything, where he had a, a leak in the roof and he had to tar some stuff? Yeah, that looked awful. Yeah, it really uh, did. Just home ownership right there in a nutshell. Telling you, studio ownership too, you know? It really is. <laughs> You're saying it. I'm telling you. But, uh, yeah, so I went out to the game and... Dude, so we sat like in the the club level, like on the second level, like that Lexus club level or whatever it's called. Yeah. And we were on the first base side. Two separate people in sections right next to me got pegged in the face with foul balls. What? And were they not? Wa- were they drinking? What were they doing? Well, one tried to catch it, bounced out of his hands into his face, and smashed his nose apart. And so the EMS or whatever had to come pull him off and you know take him out of there. And then the other guy just wasn't paying attention and got hit square in the face. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that's the danger with right there. Um, And, and, you know, the extended net has certainly helped because you hate seeing those balls flying at people, you know, in the lower bowl. So I'm certainly proud of the MLB for kind of getting better and about that. But, yeah, if you haven't been to Ranger Stadium, the second level is not too much higher than that first level where, yeah, you can get some screamers down that first base side from those uh, right-handed batters. So I'm in agreement with you. That's – that's tough. I mean, you do have to be on your toes up there. And, uh, you know, it's too bad. I wish I would have seen that. Maybe that made the not-so-top 10. <laughs> it was risky business, man, I'll tell you. It really was. But the Rangers won 7-3 to against the Cardinals. I always love to see the Cardinals lose. Uh, there was a surprising amount of St. Louis fans there. 
they travel extremely well. They do. I would expect that out of a Boston or a New York or something like that. L.A. But St. Louis, but I guess. I don't know. I guess that makes sense for St. Louis. I think it does, too, with Dallas, you know, being kind of just right below it there. And just maybe you have some people have migrated south. But, yeah, it is incredible, especially when you have a team like the Rangers who are a dumpster fire of the sorts. You typically do see the away team travel almost better. It could feel a little you know, shifted just because there's probably not as many home fans there watching their team lose night after night. But, um, yeah, inter- interleague is certainly an interesting part of the baseball season. And, I mean, it used to be, correct me if I'm wrong, we used to have it just kind of set up for certain certain weeks that were blocked off. But now well, it seems like, I mean, we even started this. There was an opener, a couple openers with interleague play. The Cubs and Rangers played each other. I mean, well, I can't remember the last time that, that really happened. It's very much a situation. Well, so it used to be where interleague play happened once a year, and it was all of interleague play was in June, right? And that, and then it went to moving scattered throughout the baseball season, which I think I like better. What do you think about that? Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the interleague just from the standpoint that you know the two leagues had different rules. I kind of liked it when it was you know separated to a specific time. Uh, but it's always exciting seeing your team play, you know, the National League if you're not used to seeing the ALNL matchups. But I'm just not a huge fan of it until they get the rules on the same page. I mean, put it, it doesn't make it – what other sport has where, you know, the AFC or NFC are separated with different rules? You know, NHL's you know, uniformed across the board. So is basketball. I mean, you don't play four-on-four four in the East and five-on-five five in the West. So – I still don't get why we have allowed this to go on for so long. To me, it just it's ridiculous that there's not a DH in both leagues. I think as part of my plan to get rid of the NBA draft, I'm going to set up the two leagues to where they play four on four versus five on five. I think that'd be fun. I mean, it'd certainly open it up. I mean, ah. well, let me ask you this. Have you been someone then who's watched that three on three league, the old man three on three basketball? Yeah. yeah, there's some great guys in there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of these teams look so dysfunctional. I mean, you wonder how they all play together. I love the fact that they just play on one half of a court. That's the best. Oh, I know. I mean, it's like a pickup game. I mean, it's just stupid. So, again, it's to my point where having different rules such as that, I mean, you're taking a hitter completely out of the lineup. You make issues. There's more issues created with this. I mean, just the St. Louis Cardinals staying on them as the topic are probably the most obvious between the plethora of first basemen that they've had with, you know, Moving Luke Vote, um, they had you know Alan Craig back in the day when they had him played all over the diamond. Uh, Martinez now currently on their team, not being able to kind of find a home with Goldschmidt coming on there. I mean, you see some of these guys. I mean, watching Jose Martinez for the Cardinals try to play right field, it hurts. I mean, it's like watching an old man softball league with a guy taking a bad line to a ball. It's not Handley left field bad, but it's pretty bad. It really you know, is. That, <laughs> you're, you're, that, that's an all-time bad. You want to talk about a year that infuriated me. You're lucky you didn't know me at that point because I was furious the entire season, the entire year. Between him and Pablo Sandoval, furious. Oh, that's just the whole left side of the infield there. You're just exposed almost. The whole Pablo Sandoval and Hanley thing is what inspired us to start the outfielder, actually. Oh, wow. Or a big part okay. of it, anyway. Nice shameless plug there. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's 
it's true. It was a miserable time in my life. <laughs> yeah, and so I guess overall my point, I'm just not a huge fan of interleague being that the rules are different. Um, I don't mind the NL when they're playing at the AL because you get to see that, but watching some of these, you know, career AL pitchers try to go hit or bunt in the NL when they, you know, they've had one career at bat. I mean, it's just ugly watching these guys. And then sometimes they'll hit the double plays more often than they really should. I mean, it's just horrendous all the way around. It's ugly. It's flat out ugly. I wonder what I'm looking up real quick. Who leads in batting average among pitchers? It's got to be Mad Bum, right? I mean, there's no way. Oh, him or Granky? They've been two career pretty, you know, solid at bats. I mean, shoot, Bumgarner. I think he hit as high as sixth one time. We'll look this up, but I mean, it's just incredible that we've seen. There's just a dime a dozen. It doesn't happen. You don't see it in the league. So it's it's a disgusting matchup when you see some of these pitchers just try to go up there and just bunt the ball just to put it in play is hard for for half the pitchers probably. No doubt about it. It's a waste of an out every time. I mean, that's the whole point of it. I do like the concept of the double switch and all that stuff, though. That's always a lot of fun. I do. I, it brings the managers more involved. But again, I think it just plays to the fact that it's such an advantage for the NL teams when you play in the World Series, especially if they're getting you know four home games. Just being able that they manage this more often, they're they're you know more experienced hitters from you know their starting pitcher wise. And it just forces guys out of games that they typically shouldn't have to be forced out of. They, you know, it's not a situation that they're always in. You see guys come out earlier, maybe the fifth inning, you know, who are throwing semi-decent. But it just doesn't make any sense to me that we've gone this long in this situation with these guys. But I guess I may be of the norm just from the fact – or not, you know, not in the norm of saying I want it changed. For sure. I'm glad that you brought up Zach Granke. I saw something the other day. It was actually not too long after we got off the air with the involving Zach Granke in the Kentucky Derby. Did you see this by any chance? No. Tell me more. It took him longer to throw two pitches than it did to run the Derby. Are you serious? Yeah. What was it doing? I'm just, he just works super slow. Works incredibly slow. Him and John Lester work like the slowest in MLB. Oh, God, John Lester, man. That guy has been working slow. Since, I mean, he doesn't care. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to interject here because I just pulled this up. Madison Bumgarner has two two games where he batted fourth, a game where he batted sixth, seventh, and then 18 games where he's batted eighth, which isn't, I guess, abnormal with how some teams structure it. Obviously, the Cubs being the most prominent with batting the pitcher in the eighth. I mean, you're telling me Mad one game, there was a game – where Bruce Bochy was like, you know what? Our pitcher is our fourth best hitter. He's got two games. Got to get him in for some lineup protection here. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, that, that's just my point. Is this? It's just stupid. It it needs to be changed. And until it does, I'm just not going to really get all jazzed up about interleague because it's it's you're playing on different rules. It makes no sense. You really? How, how do you feel about Madison Bub Gardner? It's confusing. I don't know if you like him or not. Well, being that I'm a Texas Rangers fan, obviously Madison Bumgarner has just pissed me off from you know having to deal with him in the World Series. Okay, um, certainly a guy who's had a great career and he's coming up for free agency this year, and I think he's one of the more intriguing names to talk about, you know, this year and next. He's 29 years old. He's kind of hit that point where a lot of these guys do, where they don't have their top velocity anymore, and you're seeing him have to make that adjustment to pitching. And all these guys do. A lot of them are able to make that adjustment. You just, hey, I can't blow by a fastball anymore. But 
does he want to leave? Uh, you know, wrote wrote a little bit of a blog about this a couple of weeks ago when he submitted his eight teams that are on his no trade clause. And there are eight teams that were all in playoff contention. I mean, this guy is someone who doesn't want to leave the Bay Area and wants to be a Giant for life. So I'm I'm very interested to see what kind of contract offer maybe the Giants make if they're interested in that because. I think we could agree the Giants have had horrendous success with signing starting pitchers long-term. Tim Lincecum, obviously, and Matt Kane, two guys who got big deals who did not are completely flamed out. So I think that has scared the Giants off, and I think Bumgarner's the wrong guy to do that on because he absolutely provides you, you know, value with his bat, but let alone pitching and leadership. I mean, I, I don't know how you can let the face of your franchise leave with all the success he's had, but I, I, there hasn't really been a lot of rumors that he's that he's going to get an offer from them long term. So I, I'm not I'm interested to see where his market shapes up from the trade wise. Being that the big boys are kind of off, are you know on his no trade list. I don't know what his market is because I don't know what kind of pitcher he is anymore. Ever since he fell off his dirt bike and like messed up his shoulder, he hasn't yeah. been that. He used to be a dominant strikeout pitcher like Chris Sale was. He's not that pitcher anymore. He's still a really good pitcher. But I don't know how good of a pitcher he is. Yeah, I don't think he's, you know, the top end like he was, but he's gotten 64 strikeouts and 62 innings this year, you know, sub-4 ERA. I think he's adjusting to his tick down in velocity. But mm-hmm. yeah, to your point, he's, you know, on a playoff team, he's probably more of a two or three. And um, it's just going to be interesting. But there's been plenty of guys who've been able to almost revamp and be better than they were when they had that top velo. Um, so can he be that guy? I, I don't know that he can. But um, I certainly wouldn't write him off by any stretch. For sure. All right. One last thing to close it out. We had the Preakness this past weekend. Oh, God. So this was your first real foray into horse racing, right? Yeah. I mean, I haven't necessarily gotten into it. It's not something that I, I, I'm well in tuned with. I don't scout these horses. I don't watch their races leading up to this. You know, sure. I'll do some light reading. And, of course, it's always a, you know, a, a big attraction and it's fun to get into, but you know, I, I have no idea how to evaluate a horse, whether they should win on what type of track. Well, and everybody has a different take on that too. So it just depends on what you like to look at, you know, and I like to really take some time and study and handicap. I usually handicap them a couple of days out just to kind of see what public money or what it looks like before public money affects it. And I like to kind of look and see historically what those horses do on what tracks and, and how, with what consistency and frequency. And yeah. I, th- I know that makes it sound pretty simple, but I think a big part of it is just not overthinking it. But man, there was, it's been a weird year in horse racing with the Kentucky Derby. You had maximum security getting DQ'd, which was wild and deeply upsetting for me. And then you have this situation where a jockey got thrown off the horse right out of the paddock. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. I mean, you have one job, let the guy go. And he couldn't do it. And they showed the replays all pissed off, throwing a, a temper tantrum. And the only thing I can relate it to is almost, you know, Steve Bartman and the Cubs with Moises Alou in the corner. You have one thing as a fan, as a home team in the playoffs, or just generally speaking, anytime you go, don't interfere with your own team. Don't yeah. ruin it for your own team. And, I mean, it's just unbelievable that that guy couldn't follow. I mean, it's never – you talk about two things that we haven't seen in horse racing for, forever with a disqualification and then a jockey basically getting pulled off his horse. When was the last time that happened? Dude, it's been a while because he came out of the seven hole, right, or the eight? 
something like that. Nine. Nine, that's right. And he, the way that... So, first of all, the jockey never had a chance in the world to stay on that horse. Not in a million no. years. And the way he kind of cut him back behind and then got on the outside and then ran the rest of the race was great. Because he was never with the pack, but he wasn't far off the pack. No, and that's what I loved about it was he had no... <laughs> And I think I saw a tweet like, you know, someone testing out autonomous um, <laughs> I jockeys. Yeah. I mean, I, how, how funny was that? I, I tweeted mean, that, yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, to your point, that's kind of – it's like that's exactly what it was. Hey, look, this horse ran pretty fine without a guy whipping him. Right. So I guarantee you there's going to be, you know, some organizations going to come out and go, look, you don't need jockeys. You don't need people hitting them. And it's just going to oh, be – That'll be a mess. <laughs> That'll definitely be a mess. But I mean, what what's going to happen in the you know the third leg of the triple crown? Because there's no way you can have two giant screw ups in the first two, and the third one's going to be without a hitch. I mean, something crazy has to happen. Man, the, the third. so the thing I love. So you've got the Kentucky Derby, you've got the Preakness, and you've got the Belmont Stakes. And I love the Belmont Stakes. That's probably one of my favorite races. I love the fact that it's in upstate New York. It's a classy event. And upstate New York, aside from Baltimore, is known for horse raising and, and you know, breeding and all that stuff. And so I love the Belmont Stakes. And I agree with you. It feels like there's just been too much weird thing, like too many weird things going on up to this point for something not to strangely happen at the Belmont. So that's what, June 20th? No, June 8th. So we've got a couple of weeks till that. I love this type of season, man. It's It's a hell of a time. I fucking love horse racing. <laughs> you know, you're all jazzed up. That's yeah. well. Hey, you, you know, listeners have to come back. We'll certainly have a great preview for that one. And you know, we'll 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 look to find uh, you know the horse that's going to finish in the one hole. And uh, I'm going to just be intrigued. Something crazy has to happen. I don't know what it is. Like maybe a horse running the other way and then plowing into the competition. That's the yeah. the only craziness that I can picture is something like that happening. The best part was them having to to. After the race, go find the horse and you know, oh, I know. bring him back. He, he kept running. <laughs> yeah, past the finish. He just got. Hey, man, I'm I'm feeling good. No one's whipping me. I'm yeah. just gonna keep running. No one's stopping me. I'll tell you that. Oh, it's fantastic. Great to watch. I think as a teaser for next horse racing season. I know it's early, but I think we're gonna probably go to either the Derby or the Belmont Stakes next year. Ooh. So I think that's gonna be an SLM trip. Man, you have to get your suits ready. Oh, you're going too. I know I'll have to get mine ready. I just yeah. don't know if I got the flair to, you know, compete there with the, you know, a lot, a lot of strong suits were, were always displayed out there. I feel like we should make Ben wear one of his military uniforms. If Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And if, you know, I'll find someone going the dumber, dumber suits, I think it'd be fantastic. Strong agree. I would be willing to wager that Ben would not be attending the Belmont Stakes with us. Just saying. Or the Kentucky Derby. Okay. But we'll see. We'll, we'll talk to him about it. We'll get him on radio and talk about it at some point. Okay, that works. That works. All right, man. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We want to thank everyone for joining us for another episode of Perpetually Correct. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Make sure to check us out at sensiblyloud.com for all the latest blog, blogs, plods, and more. And we'll see you guys next week. 